We're going to finish today our part three of a three-week relationship series we did, or we're doing, and I want to encourage you in this. Um, no matter what your marital state is, most of what we're talking about will help you heal and help you build stronger relationships no matter where you are. For you, for you guys who are younger or maybe one day wanting to be married, take notes. These things will not only help your relationship now, but as you meet the person that God sent you, it will help you start out your life on, a, on good terms and have the extraordinary. Because I believe that we're settling for less than what God has for us. We see relationships falling apart. There's marriage relationships falling apart, parental relationships falling apart, and the devil's attacking all of these. But I've said this in the last three weeks, and I want to say it again. It's sad that our bar, if somebody says, how's your marriage doing? Somebody will reply something like this to say, we haven't killed each other yet. And it's amazing to me that, that, that we're proud of that. Like, it, we've been married for five years, and I haven't killed him yet. If, if that's your struggle, then you may need to come talk to us. Because God's got so much more for you than just not killing your spouse because he aggravates you or she aggravates you. But God has more. We're basing all this on Romans chapter 12. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. In the next part of the verse, it says, you'll be changed from the inside out. I want to remind you that we said this the first week. Most of us don't want that. We want things to change on the outside because it's easy. I can change my clothes. I can change my hair. I can maybe even change my surroundings. But it's a whole lot more personal and difficult to change what's on the inside. Then it goes in the second part. It says, unlike culture around you, Unlike the things that influence you, they're always dragging you down. And the key is that God instead will bring out the best in you and help you become well-formed maturity. In other words, he's got more for you. In part one, we talked about this, that the best you can give to a relationship is the God-best version of you. I don't care how much you work out, how good a shape you're in, what you think you offer to bring to the relationship, the best you can offer to the relationship is the God-best version of you. The next week we talked about we don't fight when, we fight for a resolution. When you're fighting to win, that means there has to be a what? A loser. And I, as a husband, don't want to make my wife or my spouse a loser. That we fight to resolve this. And then today, this is our verse today in Jeremiah 31.3. It says, I've loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. And he uses two words here, everlasting and with an unfailing love. Everlasting and unfailing. See, the problem is today, and I decided to end the series with this because I want to encourage you, this will carry you on for a long time. This will carry your relationship, well, until we get to next February, and then we'll teach it again and, and get you going again. But love's been reduced to this, a good feeling. It's just something you, you feel, and you kind of, it's just kind of haphazard. You see, the problem with love being a feeling, or even an emotion, is that your feelings and emotions will do what? They will lie to you. They will convince you that something that's true is, is not, and it leads you. And the Bible says you're not supposed to live by your emotions. They'll both lie to you. But you see, here's the world's way of 
progressing to marriage. Here's the way the world does it. First, you got the world calls it finding love. The first thing you do is find the right person. So it's based on your decision. You deciding up or down. You deciding is this what I think I need. The the show <laughs> I can't even believe I'm talking about this in the sermon cuz that if you like the show, I'm sorry. I just hate it. Um, but the show, The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Now, come on, honest. How many, how many groupies do we have that love the show? Nobody's going to admit to it. <laughs> you see, I hate it because everything about it does not say that. And obviously what they do on TV and all is just not godly. But the whole approach is you, you go and you find the right person. And the second thing they do is they, you fall in love. Almost like it's falling, like we can just trip over and fall in a ditch. You know, falling over and suddenly you wake up and woo, I'm in love. It's just not how, how God does it. So you fall in love and here's where we really go wrong. You put all your hopes and dreams on who? On this person that you just picked out. And then we wonder why it falls apart. I love my wife dearly, and I thank God that this is not true for me. That she is not putting all her hopes and dreams on me. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I don't want to serve a God that can fit between these ears, because that's severely limiting God. Yet we do it all the time. Because you hear teenagers, teenagers some, and really teenagers in college age, that generation, you guys are the worst. I'm falling in love. He's my forever. No, he's not. He'll be gone next week. And then two weeks later, oh, you don't know, Clint, this girl, she's just the one. And then a month later, what happened to the one? Oh, she moved. Like, so you go through these three steps, but here's the thing. Here's why we, we live in this loop. Number four, when it fails, what do you do? You just repeat steps one, two, and three. It's the definition of insanity. If it didn't work, it didn't work. Let's try it again. And after the 30 or 40th time, it didn't work. Let's keep trying it. But let me show you how God does it. This is God's way. And this, that's the reason I'm not a fan of the world's dating. Because honestly, and you're, you'll hear my heart in this. The world's way of dating, I'm not anti-dating. I'm anti-dating the world's way. Dating the world's way is just practice for divorce. That hurt anybody? Dating the way the world says to do it is just practicing for a divorce. That Christian, Christian marriages now are less than 50% successful because they do it this way. They do it the world's way. But look at what, how God says. Instead of finding the right person, you become the right person. This is where the inside out changes. See, now I, and I say this because I was one of the guys, and every guy in the room has done it. Even the teenagers who are, you know, now currently teenagers. What do you do three to four weeks before you go to the beach? Guys, when you were a teenager, what were you doing? Well, much weight as you can lift, 5,000 sit-ups so you can stand out on the beach and, and stand there. We become the right person on the outside. That's not what he's talking about. God says you need to become the right person on the inside. You need to be, I tell you what really makes me 
feel good about, there's some, we've got some teenagers here, some guys that are, I believe are this way, that they're standing up and they'll stand up and say, I love Jesus. And first of all, I love God. For, in front of everybody. I love God, then I love my parents, and then on down. They'll stand up and, and talk about God freely. That, to me, is becoming the right person. That, to me, is who I will give a nod to for my daughters. Because if you wander in, and, I, and it's all about you becoming something physical on the outside, I get, I, I, I get a little nervous. So it's become the right person on the inside. The second thing is that you don't fall in love, you walk in love. In other words, you should be treating everybody now like Christ teaches us to teach people. And you'll learn, in, in that case, to teach your, your future wife, your spouse, how, you, how God treats us. I've had many, many discussions with guys that the, the Bible literally says that we're supposed to treat our wives like Christ treated us. And all the men, amen. And then you tell them what Christ did. What did Christ do? He died. He laid his life down. He so put himself down second to everything else so he could pay for the price. And guys, we don't like that. That walking in love is making stuff not about you, but about her or about the people around you, whoever, whatever type of relationship this is. And then number three, instead of fixing your hopes and dreams on the other person, you fix your hopes and dreams on God. Why? Because he says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That he'll give you the desires of your heart. And then God allows this human factor. Because we're all going to screw up, right? We're all going to mess up, right? We're all going to send a text to the girlfriend, the boyfriend, the husband, the wife. You send a text and you're like, ooh, I shouldn't have sent that. And it falls apart. And what you thought was right was God. It turns out not to be. But here's the great part. That if, fail, if failure occurs, notice the other one was when. If failure occurs, the Bible says, repeat steps one, two, and three. You, you become the right person. You don't, you don't find the right person. You walk in love. You fix your hopes and dreams on God. And that's the process. And in that process, the verse we started out with says, God, I'm unfailing and everlasting. He's always there. He's never leaving. So the topic of today, the word we're going to talk about today, and this seems to be a big deal. And even in the current generation, some of you maybe who, who maybe are in a relationship, you've been divorced and gone through that, and maybe you're in another relationship. Here's the word today is commitment. And the, here's what we need to know, though. The word commitment to us and God's relationship to us actually is this word right here. It's the word covenant. If you've never heard that word, if you read through especially the Old Testament, and in the, the Bible calls the Old Testament the Old Covenant and the New Testament the New Covenant. A covenant is an unbreakable contract with God. This is how serious in the Jewish culture it, they would take it. Then in, in the in the, we'll just take the Old Testament. That'll be the easiest way to explain it. In the Old Testament, when they, would, when they would agree on a covenant, or let's take marriage, they would take an animal because then they had to make sacrifice. We'll just say a cow, this perfect cow, this perfect lamb, and they would cut it in half and lay it down. And part of the marital ceremony was the bride and the groom 
would then walk between the two pieces of the sacrifice. In other words, yeah, can you imagine that? I bet that's popular at the Wedding Today magazine, how to cut your lamb in half and have it on the church. That's what they would do, and it was symboling, it was symbolizing to them, hey, I'm entering into this covenant, and if I break it, let what happened to this animals happen to me. Now, can you imagine that mindset today in marriage? That I'm so in this that if I mess up, what's happening here is going to happen to me. That's how serious God says my commitment is to you. It's permanent. Getting out is not an option. The Jewish ceremony very much dis- displayed that. See, on our bring it to now us, and part of what we do here as a church, if, if we marry you, if one of us marries you, then you have to go through premarital counseling. And part of that premarital, marital, no matter what the situation is, is we help you get toward commitment. And we do that by taking some tools out of the bag. Because everyone messes up. Everyone messes up. And the Bible tells us that he, God, will never leave nor forsake you, right? Amen? Amen. Are y'all with me? Y'all looking at me like, what is he talking about? But see, the problem comes, we don't love, we don't have our relationships like we will never leave nor forsake. Because we say, I'll leave if, right? Or I'll leave when. And so what's the word we teach people, and those of you who've been married here, and you'll remember this, what word do we take out of our bag? You guys were married. We what word did we take out? Yeah, the D word, divorce. Why? Are there circumstances where something happens and the marriage just doesn't work? Yes. Does God like it? No, but it happens. We take it out because if you have that club in your tool bag, what are you most likely to do? Use it. Or at least threaten people with it, right? You stand at the door and say, I should just leave. I'm going to divorce. I'm, gonna, I'm out of here. And you start throwing it. So we teach, hey, take that out. Because here's the truth. With God, breaking his commitment is never an option. It's just not an option. We as humans have trouble wrapping our brains around this because God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't change. We as humans do. And I realize this is a tough issue for a lot of people. I realize that some of you have been divorced, maybe more than once. You have had a a bad marriage, a bad situation. But the Bible says, with God, there's always hope. Why? Because in salvation, there's always redemption. And if we're basing our relationship as Christ treated the church, as we should treat our wives, and that the whole Bible relationship of marriage is seen through this marriage image, then there has to be a way to bring healing. That's why we encourage people to take divorce out of their bag, because we just, we bail and leave. It's why the devil throws everything he can at marriage, because it your marriage and even families, your kids are looking at you and they begin to relate to God the way they see you as parents in a marriage. 
So it has very much long lasting. It's why the world's trying to redefine it, right? We talked about in weeks before, the, the world's trying to redefine, to tell you what, no, that's not right. The Bible says, that's, the, the Bible is just old. It doesn't account for what's new. No, God knew all along. And we redefine who can get married. And redefine gender and redefine all this stuff. And the Bible's clear that God's relationship to us, to the church, is described like a marriage. Let me show it to you in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one. And look at the last part of the verse. That I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's an illustration. It's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. That God's commitment has no plan B. God's commitment entered into this relationship, and there's no way out. Aren't you glad that salvation for us doesn't become God just, ah, I really don't like the way you handled that. I'm just tired of you. You're no longer saved, and I'm out. Who could live that way? I couldn't. Yet we, we, we expect our spouses, we expect people in relationships with us to live that way. But here's the truth, and here's what we're going to learn in the next, in the next few minutes. An extraordinary, extraordinary can never happen without a covenant commitment. Why? Because our commitment always has a way out. When you sign a contract, what do they call those little things at the end? The clause. What does the clause do? I agree to buy this house from you for this amount of money. And then at the bottom, there's all these things that gives you right to do what? To back out. All these things. Oh, nope. You, you broke contract, I'm out. Here's the wonder of what God does. Is that even when we break the contract, he says, okay, here's what you do. You repent, come right back, and we keep going. You repent, you change, you let God help you, you come back. That we need to reaffirm, I think, as we finish out this series, reaffirm our, our commitment. Because here's what commitment means. A commitment means sticking to what you said long Long, long after the what's passed. Come on, read it. Say, mood. Every married couple has a, something that pops in their mind when they hear the word mood. Because one of us would say, I'm not in the... Oh, come on, don't act all holy. You go to bed tonight, had a good day. Snuggle up to Melanie. I say it, but I'm not in the mood. I don't, but I should remind her of this. You remember that commitment means sticking with what you said long after. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you up front, married guys, that doesn't work. You may sleep on the couch. We don't encourage sleeping on the couch in our marriage counseling, but that may get you on the couch. But no, commitment means an extraordinary marriage, an extraordinary relationship means that I realize that I've got things to do even when I don't want to. Because when we first start, everything's great. You're cleaning up after yourself. You're putting up stuff. That's why we had the whole session on how to fight. 
whole session we talked about. Clothes in the basket or beside the basket. When you started, it was all in the basket and you helped make the bed and clean the house. And then, you know, a few weeks in, guys were like, yeah, it's close enough. Right? Or we clean. I will tell Melanie, she does this and I know she does it. it, was, it we're well aware of my faults. <laughs> Somebody's coming over, the house has got to be cleaned. So I think... My commitment in this thing is I'm, I'm going to be a helper. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to clean the house while she's, you know, off doing something else. That way, if she gets home and guests are coming over, the house is clean. I clean the house, clean the house, do the toilets, wipe everything down. And I'm thinking in my best, how would Melanie do this? So when she walks in, she's going to go, wow, it's clean just like I would. What's the truth? You vacuumed? You know, at the time we had a we had a black lab that shed a lot, and I would meticulously, like picking up with tweezers and trying to, so she could not walk in and go. Could try, but now was that something I wanted to do? No. But commitment says to me that even I'm going to love you when you're good. I'm going to love you when you're bad, and we're going to walk through this together. Why? Because we've taken that club, the divorce club, out. That we're not going to, we're going to figure this out. And I, when I really say, if you've come to us, some of you may have come to us for counseling when there's been marital issues, we've always told you, if both of you want it, and both of you want to trust God, there's always hope. I don't care what happened. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care what the reasoning is. There's always hope. But I know we have some rust spots, but I'm never leaving. I'm committed. I heard this story, and I think I've told it before, but I heard an interview of a, uh, a Blue Angels pilot. If you don't know who the Blue Angels are, the Blue Angels are the guys that fly the Blue Navy jets, and they're the precision demonstration team. They come to Buford and all around, and they fly incredibly close together. And one of the Blue Angels says that in, in what we're trained to do, we have to be fully committed, and that we focus the way we do it if there's one singular spot on the lead aircraft, and that's what we focus on. We look at that one dot on that one airplane, and we don't even look at our own gauges, and that's what we fly. What he does, we do. And he said, it's easy to do when the weather's good, when the skies are clear. We can do it, and you can see around you, you can see what's going on, you can see the ground, you can see. He said, but when we fly into a storm, when things go to pot, that is what saves our lives. Our lives are saved because I can look at that place. I can focus on something, and that makes me come out alive. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's how we live, should be living our marriages. Yes, you should have commitment to your spouse, but if you're not looking at the one, the the spot, the place where God is, the follow his rule, follow his way, his definition of love, then you're going to fly into a storm and you're going to come out alone because the devil is good at separating us in these storms. And people will say, well, Clint, I, I can't do that. I'm not that good. I'm terrible at relationships. Let me put you at ease. Everybody is. That's why it says this. Here's what the Bible says. It says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives who strength? 
It's not based on you. The only thing it's based on you is the decision to focus on the point. I'm going to watch it. This is who I'm going to follow. I'm not going to fall in love. I'm going to walk in love. I'm not flopping over in a ditch. I'm following somebody's God's path for me, and he's going to take me to the one. I wish every story could be like mine. I will honestly tell you, I'm so blessed. I went through my seminary, up into seminary, went to Oral Roberts University, which is in Tulsa, which if you don't know anything about the university at that time, it was about six to one girls to guys. So my thought was, even a doofus like me has a one in six odds of finding somebody. Like even, you know, that God, this is going to work. And I went through a whole year and I began to stop taking my eyes off the, the spot, following God, and started meeting every, every person I would meet. I was okay, you're a Christian, you serve God, and I knew I was going into ministry. Okay, you want to go into ministry? You got to be the one. Nope, just be a friend. Okay, this girl. You know, and I went, just, I lived my life going, trying to find it myself. And I'll never forget one summer before I went back to school, I met my parents. My family was in St. Augustine, Florida at the beach. I flew down from Tulsa down to St. Augustine, walked out on the beach, and I just told God, I'm done. God, you want me, this is what you feel like you've called me to do, to go be in ministry. I'm done, and I really, really want to be married before I go into ministry because I don't want to have to worry about that. I want to be able to focus on. And I just said, I'm done. Until you bring somebody... I'm not thinking about it. I'm not worried about it. And that was, that was the end of July. A few weeks later in August, I walk, in, walk into a classroom. It's a big college uh, classroom, a lecture hall. I walk in. I sit down to a guy that's the campus pastor who I work for, and I see this blonde coming down the road. And I'm telling y'all, if I heard God, I heard God. And I heard God go, this is her. And I was like, oh. <laughs> long blonde hair. You know, I, in my head when I play it, I'm sure she wasn't, but, you know, she comes in. <laughs> if you know Melanie, Melanie's not that. <laughs> she did have hair way down, her hair, blonde hair. She comes and she sits on the other side of the guy I work for, who he knew. He introduces us. We then go in class. It was the first day of class. And in class, the professor, you go around and says, hi, I'm Clint. You know, that's where I'm from. And it gets to her. And she says, hi, my name is Melanie. Um, where it was where you were born. She says, I'm from Santa Maria, California. I was born in Hollywood, California. I, I, the life just got sucked out of me. Because in my mind... This good old southern boy was going to find him a good old Georgia southern peach. And that was, and we were going to take the south by storm. It was not in my plans to end up with a girl from the left coast. <laughs> it just wasn't. But I heard God say, no. And he didn't say it this way that time. But now I'll use it in the context of today. Keep your eyes on me. God worked it out. That was in August. We got married the next July. Now, yeah, I still say, woo. Most of the time I'm like, God, how did I, you know, it's God. I married way up. But I had to keep focus. 
Because even when we married 25 years in July, and yes, we've been through some times where all I can look at is the dot. I can't look at her. I, I, I'm God, I'm just following you. We're struggling. We've gone through times, if you've heard me talk about it, when Emma was born and we were getting diagnosis with Emma, it was rough. Because I was mad at God, I was mad at her. I was like, this is not what I signed up for. So I want to give you something today as we finish in the next 10 minutes. And I'm going to go fast. Because some of you would say, Clint, you don't know my situation. You don't know. I do. I know it's, if, it's, if it's like mine, we all got issues. And I think we want to close out this series with this. That God intended, never for you intended to do this alone. He intended for you, for us, to base our relationship based on what he has done for us. So I'm going to give you five things real quick as we close this series out that you can say to your spouse. If you're not married yet, if you're looking at it, you will be able to say this. You can start having these things in your mind because this is how God does commitment. This is how God does covenant. And I want to show you this. The first thing, you can say this. I commit to prioritize you. But here's the thing. What seat, what place does your spouse hold? One or two? Y'all afraid to answer? Two. Why? Because the God can sit in no other seat. And the way you treat your husband, your wife, like God treats you is by putting him first and foremost. My priority in life is God, my wife, then my kids, and I love you guys dearly, then you guys. You're at best number four. Why? Because I've got a wife and kids, and God can only sit in the first place. Look what the Bible says in 1 John 3.16. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so you ought to also do that. Give up your lives for your brothers and sisters. Priority says it's not about me. It's about me changing on the inside, becoming the one to serve her the way he served me. And everybody said, Amen. that was terrible. <laughs> Number two, I prioritize you and I commit to pursue you. I commit to pursue you. I commit to, to making you always understand that I'm always here. I'm always here. Look what the Bible says. Now, we're talking about God's for us, and then we can mirror this to our spouses. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice... And open the door, I will do what? Amen. I will come in. A lot of us don't want to do that. The spouse needs us or priorities right away. And they open the door and like, uh-uh. I'm not diving into that mess. Now, if we're honest, how many of you could say this? You come home, you come home, you open the door, and before you even see your spouse, you can feel the atmosphere and it's like, I ain't going in there. Oh, come on. I can. I've got home before, especially like maybe Emma's had a rough day with Melanie, and I open the door, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, take a breath and go in. Why? Because my job is to prioritize her, and then once I do, to pursue her. Why? Because she needs me to know, she needs to know I'm right there with her. We know that in God, he's always what? Right there. His, his, the Bible says that when I get up in the morning, his mercy is what? New every morning. He's right there with us. 
So I pursue you. Number three, and this one may sound weird to, to you, but I commit to give you a place to belong. It is ingrained in all of us. We want to be loved and known. It's part of what God put in us. That if you're just known but not loved, you're not happy. If you're loved but not known, you're not happy. That God put in us to be loved. That he so knows us. He knows every one of you. He knows every hair or lack of hair on your head. He knows us well. And he so loved us, he gave his, his only son for us. But listen, God commits to give us this sense of, of belonging. Again, it's a basic human need. Look what he says in 1 Peter. But you are not like that. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. You hear a, a pastor say a lot that you were bought, bought and paid for. What he means is Jesus paid the price for your sin, a bill you couldn't pay. That his blood, the Bible says, was shed once and for all over the altar and satisfied God so we could come to God. The fourth thing God does for us, he says, I commit to protect you. So you prioritize, you pursue, you give them a place, and you protect. I commit to protect you. I commit to stand in between you and what, here's where we struggle. Not what's after you, but I commit, I commit to stand in between you and what you probably deserve. Do you hear, know the difference? Because the Bible says grace is God giving us something we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from us the thing we really do deserve. That when your spouse has a bad day or says what they probably deserve is a swift kick. But my commitment to protect is, no, that's not what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you what God gave me, and God gave me grace and mercy. God gave me a way out. Look what the Bible says. There's three verses here in Psalm 91. If you haven't read it lately, I encourage you to go read Psalm 91. Read the whole thing. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. There's health. Verse 11. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. That even when you make a mess and you go the wrong place, the Bible says he's there to protect you. The Lord says, I will rescue, in verse 14, those who love me, I will protect those who trust in my name. Can your spouse trust you? Do they trust that when things get tough, you're going to be standing there? This is part of a commitment. And then the last one. Ushers, you guys can do your thing. Number five, I commit to purify you. You need a little bit of maybe background on this. The Bible says that when the blood, that they used, before Jesus, they would have to make sacrifices regularly to atone for sin. The New Testament, according to Jesus, the Bible says that his blood, once and for all, purified us, gave me a way out so that I could go to God. Because the Bible says without Jesus, there's no other way to God. That you're, we need to understand this. You are going to blow it. You're going to mess up. Your spouse is going to mess up. But God gets, the Bible actually said that God for us 
actually gets excited about giving us grace and mercy. In the Old Testament, if you go to the middle and flip back a few, a few uh, books to the book of Micah, the Bible says in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, that you, God, is talking about God, you delight in yourself to show me mercy. You're excited to show me mercy. That we ought to be the same way. That when it blows up, your spouse blows it. Let me ask you this question. Do they have a way out? Do they have a way out or are they forever going to spend the night in the doghouse? Because what do we do as the party who was hurt? What do we want to do? We want to make them pay for it. Somebody over here is in trouble because somebody said suffer. <laughs> we'll help y'all later. Right, but it's true. You did me wrong as my spouse, even as my friend, and I'm going to prove to you how bad it was by making you suffer. What if God did that to us? Let me ask you this question. What if God made you lay in your own mess? We don't even do that to our children, for the most part. You have a newborn, a, a baby, they blow a diaper up. Most of the time, within some reason, we do what? We change it and clean them up. See, that's really kind of what God did for us. He didn't leave us sitting in our mess. He said, I'm going to give you a way that you can get out of this. Because I know and I am God and I understand you can't do this without me. You can't change without me. And we do that with our spouse. Except we don't give them away. <clears throat> we don't give them a way out. We say, okay, you messed up, you're going to suffer. And when they come, we want them to cow down to us and make sure they understand. Now, don't get me wrong. There needs to be an understanding. I did something wrong. I understand it. What was wrong? Don't do it again. Change. Remember from the inside out. But the thing that helps our commitment, the thing that helps that covenant stay intact is I know that when I blow up, she's going to extend me grace and mercy. She's going to be able to go, well, God gave me mercy. I need to show you the same mercy. I'm not going to make you sleep in your mess. I'm not going to make you, we want to, I don't want to let you wallow in it. Because look what the Bible says in back in Ephesians. And then we'll close. The Bible says, for husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church that he gave up his life for her. And this is how you make them holy because you're doing for them what Christ did for us to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And look what the effect of it is. It says he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. says instead she will she will be holy and without fault and if God did this for you the way commitment goes in God's eyes is that same commitment needs to be made for your spouse 
Because when, when you're walking in love, you can demonstrate this. But when you're trying to find love, you're not. Because your human nature is going to tell you, let them have it and give it to them bad. Stick it to them. But the Bible says instead, show them the same grace and mercy I showed you. And that act, my word, will make them holy. Something that's become holy has, has done what? Has changed. That's my prayer for us as we move forward in our covenant commitments. As we refresh it, that I, I'm pursuing you. I choose you. Let me read them to you again real quick. And I'll give them to you. You don't have to put them on the screen. I commit to prioritize you. I commit to pursue you. I commit to give you a place to belong. I commit to protect you. And I commit to purify you. How? Because God purified me. He forgave me. If we could just learn that, our marriages would take off like you wouldn't believe. Because it becomes about changing me on the inside, becoming the one, and not trying to find the one. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. I'm going to pray over lives and relationships. But before we do that, we never leave without offering Jesus. None of this extraordinary, none of what God has for you can start until you meet Jesus. And if you're in the room and would say, Clint, I, I was away from God, I'm back now, or I've never received Jesus, what does that look like? The Bible simply says that if you believe in your heart, you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then there's a repentance. Repentance is a fancy word for God. I'm sorry, I'm going to go a different direction. If you do those things, it's a quiet, simple prayer. It's not anything based on you coming to the front. It's between you and God. If everybody would just bow your head and close your eyes, we'll pray together. If this is you, say, just wave at me. Nobody's looking around. It's just me. Okay, there's a couple. We're going to pray this together. Everybody in the room, say, Lord Jesus, today I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me, God, for messing up. I'm going to follow you, focus on you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, real quick, we're going to sing one more song before we go. But before we do, if, if you've got something you're going through, even in marriage and relationships, over to my right, your left, I think Pastor Bob's over there, Tammy, don't leave. During the last song, <coughs> excuse me, you can go over there, let them pray with you. You can tell them as much or as little as you want. They're there to be faith for you, to, to help you, lift you in faith. So don't look past that. Don't just walk out. During, during the last song, you can go over there. But I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to sing. I, want, I just felt today to, to pray over existing marriages, not anything that's wrong with one that's coming or a relationship that's developing. I just felt like today I wanted to pray over those who are married and maybe you're struggling a little bit. Anybody else? Like it's just like maybe it's just hard. I want you to know that we pray for you daily. We pray over marriage. Melanie and I fight sometimes each other, but we we fight for you, and you need to know that. So you bow your heads and close your eyes, and then we'll sing. God, I thank you for the the marriages that are in the room. The marriages. Maybe people watching online, God. God, I thank you that today, if we leave with anything, that we begin to look at our spouse the way you look at us. We begin to serve our spouse the way you served us. 
God, help me keep Melanie in her rightful place. God, help me focus on that spot that is you and follow you. And if I follow you, I'll treat her the way she deserves. And just as Christ treated the church, God will begin to do the same thing. Devil, I I bind you. I curse you in Jesus' name. You're not going to separate marriages. You're not going to destroy families. But God, that even in the darkest, lowest places, your word says you're there with us. And you'll walk back with us. And God, we thank you for it now. Heal marriages. Heal relationships. And God, be big in our lives. And we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name.